0: This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey, thanks for being together with us today on Christ,
1: Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my co-host, Tyler Hurley. Hey, what's up? Super excited for this event. We haven't done anything like this before. Yeah, this is kind of a special podcast we're doing because
0: we are right now sitting in front of a lot of beautiful people here at Palmcroft Church in their Brick House coffee shop uh, because uh, some of our friends at Northwest Christian School asked if we would come and we would do a live recording of our show.
1: Yes, this is super cool. And not only uh, are we... Doing this at a church, but what's awesome, this is a coffee shop, which that's what we're about on Christ Culture and Coffee. Yeah, it is coffee that's very important to us. So, yes, uh, w- we wouldn't do this anywhere else. Oh, no, of yeah. course, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: that's right. So, we're sitting here, and um, what we're talking about today, we're going to be addressing um, parents of students and how we can integrate Christian worldview into yes. our students because, um, man, life is weird right now, mm-hmm. and culture is strange and it's constantly changing. And so, we wanted to talk about a couple of issues we think that'll be helpful for parents uh, to think through and help integrate into their uh, students lives. So there is no coffee tip today. Usually we start with a coffee tip uh, but we're sitting in a coffee shop and so I, let's say the coffee tip for today is go listen to this in a coffee shop if your state isn't mandating nobody goes <laughs> right, inside yeah. door, anywhere. If yeah, you live yeah. in Florida you're good to go. In Arizona yeah. you can do that.
1: Though. In so, some places
0: yeah yeah well, well, yeah, well actually yeah. Starbucks opened up. I went there the other day. That's right. It was yeah. really odd. I was like, "What am I doing here? I shouldn't be here." But I, I know was. it's strange.
1: Yep. It's a foreign world that we're in right it now. It is really strange. Yeah. But
0: that's the coffee tip <laughs> for today. Go sit in the coffee shop and listen to this show. All right. Well, we wanted to start off talking about uh, sin. Uh, there is this common statement out there, and as a youth pastor, I said this, mm-hmm. and I regret it. But I hear it a lot from a lot of different people, and um, maybe some of you in the audience have heard this before. People oftentimes say all sin is equal in God's eyes. Have you heard Mm -hmm. that? I've heard that a lot.
1: All sin is equal in God's eyes. Is that true or is it untrue? Well, yeah, The all sin is equally wrong in that it condemns us to hell and makes us inadequate to save ourselves, right? Yes. Yeah, because we see in James 2.10, I'm going to read that verse real fast. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of it all. However, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God.
0: Yeah, so sin, if you break one commandment of the law, of the Mm -hmm. Old Testament law, you're guilty of the whole thing in the sense that you can't earn your way to heaven, and we we know that. You can't earn your way to heaven. It's not by works. We can't do anything. Perfection is God's standard, and none of us can make that. Mm. So all sin is equally wrong in God's eyes in order to qualify you for heaven. yes but all sin is not equally bad in God's eyes. And that's how I like to put it. All sin is equally wrong, but it's not all equally bad. That's about the weight. And everyone, it's about the weight of it. And everyone would agree with this uh, because we have different laws and different punishments for different crimes in our society. Mm. Running the red light doesn't get you in the same amount of trouble as murdering somebody, right? They're not the same. They're both wrong and illegal according to our laws. But they're not as bad as each other. Murder is worse. And this principle, I think, is something that our kids really don't understand. We're very good at teaching them all sin is equal to God, which is true in one sense, but it's not true in the other sense. And so I want to talk about this idea that all sin isn't equally bad according to Scripture. So Jesus actually weighs in on this. He talks about how there are higher laws and there are lesser laws. I want to read a a few scriptures here. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So Jesus is saying there's more important matters even according to the Old Testament law. In uh, Matthew 5 19, Jesus says, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying there's greater laws and there's least lesser laws according to the Old Testament, right? Even when he was uh, uh, eating, letting his disciples eat wheat on the Sabbath, remember that? And the Pharisees got really upset with them. He said, listen, like, you don't understand what the Sabbath is for, right? The Sabbath is made for man, and you're, you're so particular about these little nitpicky things, but you're not very gracious, you're not very kind, you're not very merciful, you don't really care about people, which is more important. Yeah. Jesus is even asked, hey, teacher, what's the greatest command? Remember this? So the guy asking him thinks there's actually one that's the best out of them all, which means there's some that are worse. And Jesus doesn't correct him and say, oh, you're way mistaken. All sin is equal in God's eyes, (laughs) right? All commands are equal. He doesn't say that. He says, oh, the greatest command is to love God with everything you've got, heart, soul, mind, strength. And then there's the second one that's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. So Jesus tells us that there is kind of a hierarchy of commands there are things that are greater to do. There are things that are lesser to do, according to God's word. So,
1: greatest commands, lesser commands, weightier portions of the law, less portions of the law, yeah. according to Jesus. Yeah, it's true. And then uh, Jesus even says that in not loving, in loving our parents more than we love Him, makes us not worthy of Him, as He says in Matthew ten thirty seven. And then uh, we see again too in uh, John nineteen eleven, Jesus answered. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you, to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Right? He, he mentions there the greater Sin. Yeah, Judas did something horrendous. Yes,
0: right. Of course. <laughs> it's yeah. worse. It's greater than other sins. It's worse than other sins. Yes. So of equally course.
1: wrong, not equally bad. Yeah. And then we see again in uh, John fifteen thirteen, 13, uh, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And right? Greater act of a certain virtue.
0: Yep. The virtue of laying your life down.
1: That's the highest level of love, basically, yes. he's saying. Yes, and then um, even rewards in heaven for faithful service, right? And that we see in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 12. And then degrees of punishment in hell that we see in Matthew five twenty two, Romans 2, 6, Revelations 20, 12, All indicate that not all sins are equal. Yeah,
0: there yeah. is a gradation of sins. And so like the ethical system that I believe the Bible teaches mm-hmm. us is graded absolutism. Graded absolutism. And actually, this is how we all live our lives when it comes to laws of the land. We know they're not all equal. We all intuitively know that rape is worse than stealing a candy bar, right? We all know that, not in the sense of disqualifying us for heaven, but in the sense of severity of punishment and severity of consequences that come in this life through doing things that are egregious to God. Uh, I think we can also see that this this graded absolutist uh, ethic is taught by God when there's moral conflicts that are unavoidable. Um, The Bible speaks to this, and this is a really kind of a fun and weird issue to talk about. But you remember in Exodus 1, there's these Hebrew midwives, and they're told by the Pharaoh to kill newborn baby boys that are Hebrew because they were trying to control the population of the Israelite slaves. And these Hebrew midwives totally disobey civil authority, right? They disobey the king of the land, which I'm pretty sure Romans 13 tells us we're supposed to obey the government, but they didn't. They disobey. And then he calls them on it, and he says, why are you letting these babies live when I explicitly told you to kill them? And they lie to him. And they say, look, we try to get there, but these Hebrew women, they're not like weak Egyptian women. They're so strong. They push the baby out before we even show up. Like, what are we supposed to do? Which was a lie. And so, th- so think about this. Civil disobedience, lie to Pharaoh about what is going on, and let me read to you what happens. Exodus 1 So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. God blesses the midwives for disobeying the king of the world, and lying. Does that, is, that's weird, right? Why? Wait, what a second. Why is he doing this? And it's because when we are in a place of moral conflict, where we have to choose between two sins, we are obligated to choose to do the lesser, which means we choose to do the greater good. And when it comes down to lying about Jews being hidden under your floorboards in Nazi Germany, or telling the truth and having them killed, you lie every time, right? I think we all know this is intuitive, but this is what scripture speaks to. We see this also with Rahab in uh, Joshua 2, right? She hides the slaves and she lies about it. And she gets blessed for that because she valued their life. She helped them out. She's in the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews 11, which is striking, right? Uh, She's there because she trusted and feared God more. James, Jesus' brother, uses her as an example of faithfulness to God. For lying? No. For choosing to do the greater good. This is the ethic that the Bible teaches. We see the same thing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They won't bow down and obey the king. Why? Because you should obey God over obeying earthly kings when it comes down to it, right? We see Daniel do the same thing. He refuses to pray to King Darius only. He keeps praying to God. He doesn't care about what the law says in that instance because you choose to obey God instead of obeying the civil authorities over you when it comes down to that. And so this ethic of of uh, graded absolutism I think it's really important for us to comprehend. All sins equally wrong, but not all sins equally mm. bad according to scripture. And when we act like it's all equally bad, it's really confusing for our kids and it sets them up for problems when it comes to issues like homosexuality, transgenderism, yeah. abortion, and things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean uh, there's tons of examples throughout scripture where God praises people for choosing the higher moral law when they're faced with these uh, predicaments here. Uh, no guilt is imputed for the unavoidable moral conflict, because you see, that's the key here, is that we see all these examples, just like Robbie went over the Hebrew midwives, Shadrach means and Abednego, Daniel, and then um, Jesus even declares David and his men guiltless for breaking into the temple and eating the bread, right, in Matthew 12, 3 through 7. Uh, not only were these people not condemned for breaking the moral law, but they were also given a divine principle for for their choice to obey a greater law. So uh, this is there's tons of examples about this through, all throughout scripture.
0: Yeah, I think that that point's really important. Yeah, They weren't condemned for the sin, which that's, that's telling, they weren't condemned, yeah. but in addition uh, right. to that, they were praised for what they did, right? Because God knows when we're stuck in these situations, we should be uh, choosing the greater good. When we tell our kids that all sin is equal in God's eyes, we set them up to fail in these situations. Because which do you choose, right? Because if it's all equal, if a life is as equal as stealing a stick of gum, well then how do I choose, what do I choose, right? And it it messes them up when it comes to moral thinking. And I mean, we're in an election cycle right now, and we're not talking about politics on this because we did a few weeks ago and everyone was mad at us. Not everyone, (laughs) but a lot of people. But we have to think through these issues when it comes to our vote too. Like what's the higher moral good? Mm. And 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 to be honest like we have to choose a flawed human being no matter who we vote for ever right even if it was your even if it was Ronald Reagan which everybody loves I heard when <laughs> I was a little kid he was great and I trust people I think he probably was but we have to choose between between flawed people and so the choice should be what's the greater moral good right not perfection because if Jesus was running that would be great mm, uh, sure. but he but he isn't unfortunately Norm Geisler, um, who's a proponent of graded absolute ethics, he says, Therefore, in real unavoidable moral conflicts, God does not hold a person guilty for not keeping a lower moral law so long as he keeps the higher moral law. And I think that's an important principle that we have to teach our kids for them to function in life. It leads to a lot of problems. Mm. So, Tyler, what are some principles we can glean from these scriptures?
1: Yeah, well, uh, there's three principles, actually, I'm going to just briefly cover. So, one is that we have love for God over the love for man, which I think we made that clear through this. Well, we see that
0: with Daniel, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? God comes first. Jesus even said, you got to love me more than you love your parents.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And that's fascinating, because isn't loving your parents one of the Ten
1: Commandments? It is. Yeah. So, so, we've seen. that's the that's thing. There's a hierarchy here, yeah. Yep. And, so, and then the second thing is that we obey God over government, right? Yes. Which, again, we just covered several examples of this. And then mercy over truth. We take mercy over truth. And exa- That one
0: sounds harsh.
1: I know, right? So explain, what, sounds- what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, just some examples of that, like uh, lying like to the Pharaoh, right? Or uh, um, The men of Jericho, Nazis hiding, uh, like Jews in your basement, like yeah. we talked about. In order to show mercy and save lives, sometimes we should take that over the truth.
0: Yeah, right? and we're not saying that you lie whenever you yeah, want, yeah, yeah. it's no big deal, but of when course. you're in a moral conflict.
1: Yes, yes. So when
0: we come into situations like this, because we live in a fallen world.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Obey
0: God over man, God over government, love God over human beings,
1: and mercy over truth, seems to be the biblical man. Yeah, and you see, like, there's no condemnation when people are forced in the situations we see in scripture. Mm-hmm. God isn't providing condemnation for them in these moral dilemmas because— He blesses them. Yeah, yeah he blesses them. When exactly. they choose to do the right.
0: Yes. So another uh, an important concept I think we can glean from these biblical principles are that we can understand that some sins, being more egregious to God, have more severe consequences for us in life. And we all know this because we've all seen this happen, right? Um, This is where uh, a lot of our students are being misled. Uh, If all sin is the same in God's eyes, then there isn't anything worse about murder or abortion or homosexuality or transgenderism than there is about cheating on a math test or stealing gum. If all sin- does that make sense? So, so they have friends that want to be transgender. They have friends that are struggling with homosexuality. And it's like, well, you know what? We all have issues. You know, I occasionally cheat on a math test. You want to have sex with the same sex people. We all—it's all the same. Well, it's all wrong, but it's not all equally bad. And we have to help our kids understand. Listen, certain sins destroy us faster. Certain sin brings death faster. And if we love people, we should help them, obviously, avoid all sin and and walk in the Spirit and abide in Christ and discipleship. But we also should steer them away from the ones that are really going to harm them. Uh, Jesus' brother, James, in James 1, 14 through 15, he said, but each person is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And some sins bring faster death, right? That's why we always say you shouldn't do drugs. Like, it's really bad for your life, right? You shouldn't go around killing people. Like, it's really bad for your life. There's certain things that ruin us. And God is so kind and loving, and that's why he warns us about these things. He's not a fun killer. He wants us to live an abundant life. And there are certain sins that lead to death faster than other sins. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul talks about this. He says, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Sexual sin, in Paul's mind, is different. It's a different type of sin than all other types because you're literally sinning against your interior. You're harming your soul in a way that other sins don't. And so this idea of certain things being badder, right, worse consequentially, worse for your soul, worse for your life. I think is a really important biblical principle that so often yeah. we get confused. And and the truth of it is, I don't want to I don't want to be mean about when we say all sin is equal to God because what we're trying to communicate is listen, you've never done anything that God can't forgive. And that's true. <laughs> and so I don't want to lose that. I just think we need to be good at explaining. However, there are consequences to the sins that we commit, and some of them have more severe uh, consequences than others.
1: Yeah, and that's where that phrase, right, that we just discussed earlier is that all sin is the same to God. That's where it has kind of become dangerous in culture. It's kind of one of those Christianese terms that you hear people say a lot, right? Uh, But the real danger that we see there is that by repeating this over and over, it sets up that preconceived notion that, okay, like all sin is the same even has the same weight. But that's really the key, right? It's the same weight. And like we just went through all these examples, some sins are weightier and outweigh others. That's the key. Yeah,
0: and so the idea translates to kids, and I've heard even pastors, youth pastors say this, to where they say, listen, because all sin's the same to God, we don't want to judge anybody. And it's like, okay, like I don't think we should judge anybody. I think God judges people, and I think I should point people to what God's Word says, and if they feel judged by God's word, I'm OK with that, actually. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel judged by God's word every time I read it. I'm a dirtbag. Like, I read this, and I'm like, man, I do not measure up to this, right? Um, but that's what it translates to. If, all, if it's all equally the same, we don't want to point out theirs because I've got my issues. I cheat on a math test, and, and they're transitioning to become female. It's all the same. Then kids get this idea that we don't judge people, and it, it lends itself to relativistic thinking. Mm-hmm. It does. It's, it's a slippery slope from it's all the same to, well, you know, that's just a thing that they believe that's true for them. That's just an issue they struggle with for them. This mindset um, doesn't help people avoid sins that kill them faster. And if we actually love people, we should be warning them about what's harmful to them, right? And not in a mean-spirited way, and not in beating them over the head, <laughs> but if we actually love our neighbor we should be salt and light, like scripture tells us to be, and be steering people towards the truth. We can't force them to believe it. They can reject it. But we should be able to graciously stand for truth, right? Grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And that's what we need to strive to be doing. Because we don't want to um, say these Christian mantras that then lend themselves to relativistic thinking
1: in our students. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, that's kind of what we want to, that segues us right into our next topic of discussion real fast, is that we want to discuss relativism relativism in the culture and how it's kind of taking its effect on the youth as well. Uh, So when it comes to truth, there are two types. There's objective truth and then there's subjective truth. Uh, Now, objective truth means it's true for all people at all times in all places, and it's unchanging. Uh, For example, math tends to be objectively true, right? Uh, Two plus two equals four, right? Uh, But then on the contrast, we have subjective truth, which is a matter of personal preference of something that is true for the individual. Like that's like me stating that my favorite flavor of ice cream is chocolate. Chocolate ice You're cream. You're wrong.
0: You are morally wrong for believing
1: well, that. Well, maybe so. <laughs> no, but it's it's subjectively true for me that my favorite flavor of ice cream is chocolate. Okay. Right? Yeah. That exactly. can be your preference. That that seem my preference.
0: Morally wrong, that's just joking.
1: that's just my opinion. Yeah. Just so you know. So <laughs> I so, actually agree. Vanilla's not a flavor. No. Nah. Go on. <laughs> Sorry if we disrupt anybody's life with that. Right, right. So so that's a key here. It's uh, knowing the differences between objective and subjective truth. Now, the reason we want to point this out is because people tend to confuse the two, and our society is socially driven towards the idea that truth is subject yeah, especially right? moral truth. yes morality that, is subject exactly. If believe. yeah, and, and that's the key there, right? Uh, like people when it comes to uh, morality are kind of creating their own reality. Uh, I mean, nobody is a relativist when it comes to like uh, like say that you Made the statement claiming that you had a million dollars in your bank account, right? And you're like, "Oh, I really hope that I have it." Like, no, no one lives like that. Goes around spending as though they have a million dollars.
0: What if you go into the bank and ask for your million dollars, but
1: they, you yeah. don't have? It. Are they going to give it to you?
0: No, of course but if, not. But I identify yeah. as a millionaire.
1: <laughs> oh, you identify as a millionaire. Well, that makes sense. Let me just hand <laughs> so it right yeah, over to you. Yeah, like that won't work in no, real life. No, and see, you can see how absurd this is, right? And and, so, and then not only that. People aren't relativist either when there's an eight-year-old girl that just fe- all of a sudden feels like that they're a doctor today and wants to perform open-heart surgery. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a bad idea. Right, yeah, and so uh, the, just because you feel like it, it doesn't make it true, right? Uh, it, it, yet people support relativist I- relativistic ideas when it comes to God and morality. And those are really the only two subjects that they do
0: it with, if it's you true. think about it. Morality and religion. You don't do it with science. You don't do it with gasoline in your car. You don't do it with money in your bank account. Right. It's only when it comes down to morals and religion. And the reason our society thinks it's okay for those to just be preferences like ice cream flavor is because they don't believe that we can even know what's true. So nobody can really understand it. Nobody has information about it. Therefore, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at. Now we've moved from that into a position of, everybody can do whatever you want, and you better say it's okay. So I can't do whatever I want then, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Everyone can do whatever they want, except you. You can't do yeah. whatever you want if you're telling people they can't do whatever they want. But isn't that what you're doing to me? You see, it's just, it's silly where relativism leads when it comes to morals and religion. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, who was a brilliant, brilliant philosopher, wonderful Christian guy, uh, he wrote a book way back in the day. I think it was in the 60s or 70s. And it's called The God Who Is There. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It is phenomenal. And he semi prophesied about where we would be today. And he explained what was going to happen in culture. And it has happened. He was seeing uh, relativism coming on, postmodern thought coming on. And he gave us this analogy. He said that. Culture is like a two story house. And what you have on the second story, well, on the first story, you have science and facts and objective truth. And so we live in a culture who thinks truth is science, right? Science says, science says. So they believe, and, and most everybody has this belief that scientific things are real and true. So you have the first story of our house that believes in objective truth when it comes to science. But then in the second story of the house, you have subjectivity, relativism, when it comes to morality and sexuality and religion and things like that. And so what we're seeing is we we have a culture full of people who are living in a dualistic reality where they believe in science and facts for some things, but then for other things, it's, it's relativistic and it's my opinion. And so we see this play out in a lot of ways. If you think about it, when it comes to uh, euthanasia, I know that they're scientifically a human being, but they've lost some abilities. Therefore, subjectively, I don't think they're really a person anymore because they have Alzheimer's. Therefore, we can kill the human being. So my second story relativism is now trumping my first story, fact, objective truth. Does that make sense? The same happens with abortion, the same time, and transgenderism. I know what my body is scientifically, but my subjective interior person deems that I'm different, therefore, that trumps the first story of the house. That's what keeps happening in our culture with uh, hookup culture even, right? You think about sex right. performance, I can have sex with somebody using my body, the first story, science, and it will have no effect on who I really yeah. am on the inside. Well, no, none of this stuff actually works because that's not the type of world we live in. A human being is a holistic thing and we can't split ourselves into these two parts. But that, I I think that analysis that Schaefer gave us way back is we're seeing it play out with euthanasia, with abortion, with transgenderism, with homosexuality, uh, with hookup culture. All of these things are playing out with, because people are buying into relativism in certain things, and it actually trumps reality. Mm. It trumps science, because I'm me, and I think, or I believe, or on the inside, I want to. And so I think understanding that and helping our students to navigate that will really help them navigate a whole bunch of issues that they're going to encounter over the next lifetime.
1: Yeah, yeah, and with that too, I just want to bring up real fast some examples that we're seeing in culture today where children are actually being indoctrinated with homosexual ideologies. And so, uh, for example, uh, in May of 2019, PBS actually aired an episode of the show Arthur, where they had actually brought in the character Mr. Rapburn and introduced him as being gay. And in that episode, they had a gay wedding take place. And now, uh, now actually, Robbie could probably attest to this, too, because he's actually, you've had to have some personal experience in dealing with this, right, with your own kids. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I came home from work one day, and um, my wife's like, hey, you should ask Greta what she watched on uh, TV today. My, my daughter at the time, she was seven. And I was like, what'd you watch? She's like, I watched Arthur. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, I don't, you know, that's fine. Mm. It's kind of boring to me, but whatever, that's great. (laughs) Uh, And then my wife goes, ask her what it was about. So I did. I said, well, what happened? And she's like, dad, it was so weird. There were two men who got married on Arthur. And I was like, that didn't happen. Like, whatever. Like, you're crazy, right? And and so I, I was pressing her on it. And my wife's like, no, I rewound it on Roku. And like, yeah, that's what happened. And I was like, no way. So I looked it up. And for sure, that's what they did with this new. Op- First of all, I was shocked they were still making new episodes of Arthur. <laughs> I don't know if that's news to you. It was news yeah. to me. <laughs> but this idea of... Nobody knows what's morally right or wrong. So even in children's shows, we can push whatever subjective agendas we want yeah. to because nobody can speak to morality because it isn't a science thing. It's a subjective thing. It's an ice cream flavor thing. Yeah. And so we, we, we have to ask ourselves the question, is morality like ice cream flavor preference or is it like insulin to a diabetic? What? Which one is it? If it's like insulin to a diabetic, uh, you can't just inject anything into your body, and it works, right? And I think today I'll use chocolate syrup, and I think t- today I'll use pineapple juice. Like, it doesn't work. You have to have a specific thing because objective reality exists. Mm. Which one is morality? And as Christians, we would say it's insulin, it's not ice cream preference. right? But convincing our culture of that is a task, because to say that is offensive because you are disagreeing with me. And then you can say, but you're disagreeing with me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. We can all disagree with each other and, exactly. and still be
1: kind, but let's talk about our reasons for why we believe what we believe. Yeah, and, and this is just such a big issue because what we're starting to see is just, not, not just through that example, but several examples that we can see in today's culture where there's this shift gearing towards this ideology. And now another example I wanted to offer up was uh, uh, last week actually, um, and this isn't to get political, but it's about the, what, the statement of what happened in Joe Biden's town hall that he had had. Uh, there was a question that he that was raised to him by a woman who claimed to have an eight-year-old boy who was transgendered to be their daughter. She referred referred to them as their daughter, but she explained her once son, eight years old, wanted to transform into her daughter. Now, what had happened was she asked. Joe Biden, okay, what what are some policy you'll take in place to uh, cause some reform to where there's no discrimination against transgenders is what she asked. Now, the shocking part is what Joe Biden said in response to that. He clarified uh, and said, uh, okay, what I want to do is I want to change the law, is exactly what he said, to where there is, in any way we can, to where there is zero pushback or discrimination if anyone, eight to ten years old, no matter how old they are, wants to transcend their gender. That's, that's what he said. And now, uh, when the, the danger here that we're seeing, and it's not a political statement to say that, uh, The the danger that we're seeing here that I'm observing is that by making that statement openly to the public and saying that it is okay, it is normal for an eight-year-old child to be thinking about whether or not they want to swap their gender Uh, That's really turning the culture into a dangerous direction because uh, no child that young should be even considering that without someone feeding them the idea over the years of uh, their sexuality and probably confusing them. Uh, Really, any kid at that age, the thing that they should most be concerned about is what they're going to dress up for for Halloween, right? Yeah, or if trick or treating is even going to happen. Right, that too. I'd be really concerned
0: about that. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) And so, no, that's, that's the danger here, and we're seeing a cultural shift uh, through the media and through, uh, through cartoons. And it goes back yeah. to this idea
0: that people don't think morality, religion, sexuality are, are knowable in the sense of what's right or wrong. It's just a free-for-all. Yeah, it's, it's becoming just, it's normalized. Just a grab bag. It's
1: becoming normalized. Yeah,
0: and so we, we hear ideas like this pushed, like, I don't want anyone to discriminate against a person who scientifically has a certain body but wants to live a mythological existence. That's what he's saying. Yeah. And again, uh, what do you mean by discrimination is the question I'd always ask in that. Like, what do you mean? Like, are people treating this human being wrong? Are we are imprisoning them for that? Like, I don't, I'm not for that either. My three-year-old pretends to be a dog all the time. And I don't, I don't spank her for that. Right? You know what I mean? Like, so what do we mean by discrimination is one thing. But normalizing it, like, yeah, anybody can be whatever they want to be. Well, Joe Biden, I want to be the uh, Democratic presidential candidate. And that's how I identify right now. So get out of the way. Will that work? No, that won't work, right? <laughs> but wh- why does this work? And it's it's such a confusing worldview. And I think being able to explain it in this two-story mm-hmm. house, that relativism works with sexuality, morality, and religion, but then in other ways, our culture is very modern in the sense that we believe in science and and facts
1: to some degree. Right. But relativism is beginning to trump uh, science and facts. Right. And then, yeah, and we even see instances of relativism being pushed into the abortion discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the crazy thing is, is we see in culture, like abortion's been quite an issue lately too. And uh, the question, however, what we're thinking, and and this is just something to consciously be aware of when any message is being pushed out there about the abortion debate, uh, the question should always go back to what is the unborn, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if science shows the unborn fetus is a human being from the moment of conception, then abortion is morally wrong regardless of the circumstances surrounding it. Yeah, well, and, and this is what's really interesting about the abortion debate and how it plays into
0: relativism. is, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the argument was always the unborn isn't a human being. They're just a clump of cells. They're just, you know, tissue. They're not a human being. However, technology has advanced and we can see them inside, and we know, no, that's a human being. Uh, And if it isn't, what is it? Is it it a dolphin? Is it a chameleon? Like, what is it? (laughs) It's a a human being at a certain stage of development, right? We're all aware of this now. So this argument that they're not a human doesn't work anymore. So now what has happened is the science is settled on what it is. It's a human being. uh, But in our second story, relativism, it's not a human person. It's not a human person. Therefore, even though it's a human being, I can kill it. So do you see how relativism in the second story is once again trumping science and fact and objective reality in the first story? That's how it applies in in the abortion debate.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and so all you have to do, really, when navigating through these cultural messages is just a simplistic way of looking at it, right? Uh, This is a tactic that we call trot out the toddler. Now. It's, it's very simple, as I said. Uh, the idea can be applied to any abortion argument. Uh, to where, for example, maybe you, you hear, you've heard the argument, uh, what about the financial well-being of the mother or the parents of the child, right? Uh, well, the question should be asked, do you believe it would be morally, morally permissible to kill a three-year-old if the parent was having financial hardship, Right, and and you see that's where you start to take into play. Well, no, like anybody you ask that, of course they'll back off. They'll be like, "Oh, of course not. No, no." The question is, why? At what point do you believe that not just that the unborn is a human being, but that it's a person? Right. When
0: does that human being become a human person?
1: Yes. Yes. And so that's what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Right. 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 And so so that's where it boils down to. So every time, if you keep pressing on the issue, it comes down to where does it become. A person. Now, uh, this idea can be thought through for most arguments when it comes to abortion, which would make it to where most would have it boil down to that core question: What is the unborn? Right? Because if it is not a living being or slash person, it should be not even. It should be morally equivalent to having a tooth removed. Yeah, right? my mom actually
0: a couple of years ago she had her yeah. gallbladder out.
1: Didn't think twice about it. Right. Yeah. Cause, Why? Cause because you know, it's, it's not, not a human being. Right? It's not different. Yes, it's yeah. not a human person. Exactly. Yep. And so, that—that's kind of what we're seeing ha- happen a lot. as people come up with these uh, different phrases. Well, so if you, and it's so subjective, right? Because it is. Because exactly. when does it
0: become a person?
1: Well, it depends on how I feel about
0: it. Is really right. what it comes down to, right? And then we make up these laws saying, well, after the second trimester, after the third yeah, trimester, right? you know, when it's almost uh, completely out of the mother, but it's still partially got a hand in there. It j- you go, wait, wait, who? where is the proof of this? There is no proof of it. It's relativism, postmodernism trumps objective reality, mm. which really, when you think about it, comes down to my will be done. Yeah, That's all this is, is it's idol worship of myself. Yeah. Relativism is idol worship of ourselves. And it's not new, it's just got fancy terms and it's taught in colleges and universities, yeah. right? Yeah, But it's absolutely. just idol worship, it's Romans one. Instead of worshiping the creator and submitting to the reality that we're actually in, we try to create mythological reality to live in. Right. The problem is, is that reality has a real nasty way of reasserting itself. It does, yeah. It doesn't work, I don't know. So if you've been following the abortion um, laws in China, Um, There is this town in China where there's 30 men for every one woman available. Do you know how much crime is going on there? Do you know how much bad stuff is happening? Because there's nobody to marry. There's all these guys because parents wanted to keep boys, and they kept boarding their Mm -hmm. their daughters, but there's not enough women. I, I heard an interview of a guy, and he's like, I don't have a shot. I'm not that talented. I'm not that good looking. Why would one of these women choose me out of 30 guys? Like It's just not happening. I'm subjected to being a bachelor my entire life. This false idea that we should live in a mythological world where we create what's right and wrong Hmm has led to huge problems in China. And honestly, it's leading to huge problems here yeah. with you know the, the 60 million babies our country has aborted since 1973. And so reality reasserts itself because we actually live mm. in God's world. And it would be better for human beings
1: to submit to what's real than to try to create our own mythological worlds to live in. Right, and then obviously with the scientific facts showing if that's the case, that the unborn fetus is a human being, person, at the moment of conception, then abortion should be one of the most horrendous evils of our generation. Yep.
0: And taking it back to graded absolutism, it seems like God's word teaches that life is really important, right? And so choosing to help people live, choosing to help people who can't speak for themselves have a chance at life versus, well, I want different health care or I want different immigration laws. If we buy into the graded moral absolutist idea, we have to go with the higher right, the higher moral law.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Which I believe
0: scripture clearly teaches is life. And, I, and these are issues like Chris was saying earlier, like our students are talking about all this stuff. They're watching the debacle of these debates online. You know, They're seeing how crazy, they're on Twitter, seeing presidents and presidential candidates tweet out Ridiculous, terrible stuff. And they're trying to sift through, like, what does this mean? How does this work? And so many people are vying for power that they'll say whatever they want to say mm-hmm. to, to get in power. And we have to help people, especially our kids, understand what is the biblical worldview of this stuff. Yes. I love when Jesus was here on this earth, he was in a real political mess. And that that, that comforts me a little bit. <laughs> like, yeah, in, right. his po- politics when he lived were just disgusting, right? You had Herod, who was like a fake fake puppet king of the Roman Empire who's trying to pretend like he's a Jew, and he really cares about Jewish people, but he's not. He's just lying to stay in power. And then you have the real Romans there actually ruling, like Pilate, and then you have the Sanhedrin who's trying to keep the law and do stuff. It just, it was a mess for the time, and they didn't have any rights to vote either, And so I find comfort that we have a high priest who can empathize with us in all of the situations we're in, with every weakness we have, including uh, politics that make you sick to your stomach all the time, right? Yeah. (laughs) Including relativism, where Pilate looks at Jesus and says, what is truth? Jesus went through these types of things. So we're not on our own, and this isn't anything new. But we have to help our kids navigate it. We have to navigate Mm. it ourselves well. So we need to help them understand these biblical concepts, right? All sin is equally wrong to qualify us for heaven, but all sin is not equally bad in the consequences that play out from it. We need to help them understand that because they can really harm their lives. Choices we make in the past enslave us in the future. Mm. You you cannot uh, start doing heroin in high school and then just choose one day not to be addicted to it right? Because a choice you made in the past confines your future choices. You can't sleep around in high school and contract AIDS and then not infect other people with AIDS. It just, there's consequences to the actions we have. And some sin has more severe consequences. And we have to help our students understand this because yes. they're having friends who say, well, you struggle with that. I struggle with this. I don't see what the big deal is. And we need to help steer people towards truth and steer people away from swift deaths if, if we love them. Yeah. We also need to help them understand relativism and, and this, this whole postmodern thought that's come in in regards to sexuality, morality, and religion, right? We can know things that are true about sexuality and morality and religion, not, not because we can, we can measure it with science, right? But we can measure it with philosophy. We can measure it with theology, uh, science isn't the only way we know truth, and I think that's one of the things our, our society bought into a hundred years ago that's really derailed us, is if science is the only way we can know truth, you can't know about uh, sexual relationships being good or bad based on science necessarily. You have to have something else, right? Uh, so I think our society is it's trying to um, measure the height of a giraffe using a bathroom scale. It's the wrong tool for the job, right? We need to use something else, like philosophy, theology. What does God have to say about this? Because he's outside our perspective, and he can speak to how he created us. And he is a really good God. And he doesn't tell us this stuff to make our lives hard and difficult and boring. He tells us this because he knows what the best way for us to operate is. Because he created us. He knows our operating manual, right? Like, he knows what's best for us. And so he steers us away from anything that's going to ruin us and bring us harm and bring swift death. And I think that as parents and educators and um, youth pastors, pastors, that's what we need to be doing with our students, is helping them understand these concepts. Because they, these kids are living in a different world than I lived in in high school, right? The late 90s is not like it is today. <laughs> it's not. It's not. They live in a different world than you lived in. Just the information that's coming out of them, all the opinions that are coming out. How do we help them sift through this stuff? We got to go to the Word, and we got to have clear teaching on the ethics that the Bible teaches, and on the worldview that God yeah. created—objective moral truth. It's not up for debate. You can either submit to it, or you can derail your life because you're pretending that something is real that isn't real.
1: Mm. Yep. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I, it just—it really does boil down to sorting out the relativistic ideas that are creeping into society right mm-hmm. we got we have to be on guard in alert about this because these messages are coming up very quickly in today's culture and they're very subtle
0: yep and like chris yeah. said it's the elementary school kids that are talking about this it's yeah. not the high schoolers that are struggling it's not those 80s those john hughes 80s <laughs> no. movies where it's the high schoolers struggling with this stuff yeah. it's like it's like five-year-olds struggling with this stuff now it's crazy times we're living in but it's not new right. It's it's new to us And this culture has been like, if you read 1 Corinthians, man, they were ridiculous. They were terrible. That was a really bad time. Uh, We can do it. Because we have the Lord, and he can help us. But we have to stand strong on his word and teach our kids. If you're interested in studying these subjects a little more, there's three books I really would highly recommend. One is called Christian Ethics, Options and Issues by Norman Geisler. Fantastic. Another one's called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. She talks about that Francis Schaeffer model, and then she applies it to all these issues uh, in our culture. And then another one is True for You but Not True for Me by Paul Copan, where he talks about relativism and how to diffuse it. And so I would highly suggest you reading those books and helping your students understand those books as well. So we're going to open it up for a time of Q&A right now. I think George has got a mic, yeah, and he's going to run around, and, uh, or Chris has the mic. Oh, it's over there. So if there's any questions pertaining to this or anything else, um, and, and we can answer it, we'll, we would love to talk and, and just hear your thoughts on it, answer any questions that you have. So if you've got a question, raise your hand. And George is the man, and he's going to bring the mic around. All the way on the other side of the room, man. You're going to get your exercise. You're (laughs) burning off that Chick-fil-A. Yeah. So we have this term of bigotry. Now that we're really dealing with of if you don't agree with me, then you must be a bigot. Mm -hmm. Right? So if a high schooler says, I believe in the Bible, and the Bible says I shouldn't sleep with you, Mm -hmm. oh, then I'm a bigot. For all people. Sure. So how do we kind of deal with this response that people are giving to kids when they do say, I'm standing on the Bible"? Mm-hmm. What are some good approaches for kids when they come up against that? Yeah, so we're just going to repeat this for people listening at home. Right. So the question is, how do we uh, combat the, the opinion that when we stand for scriptural principles, we're called bigots because we're not going along with what culture mm. says, or we're telling people they're wrong and we're going to do something different. So how do we combat that? I think that one of the things is, and this this always helps me, is when anybody accuses you of something, I ask myself, are they doing the same exact thing to me that they're accusing me of? Okay? And in this sense, what is happening? They're saying, I disagree with you because you disagree with me and you're negative and I'm positive,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And so the, an easy way to, instead of telling them that, I would just ask them a question to expose that to them so they learn that this is a bad way to go about life. So you just ask them, so they say, I can't believe you're so bigoted. Well, why am I bigoted? Because you're saying that you're not going to sleep with me because that's what the Bible says, implying that I'm wrong. And then you say, do you think I'm wrong to do that? And they're going to say, yes. So you think I'm wrong? Yes, well, that's great, because I think you're wrong. You think I'm wrong. We're both doing the same thing. <laughs> like We're both bigoted, like, if you yes. want to say it like that. Or maybe we just both have opinions and views. Now, we can both disagree with each other, but let's talk about why we disagree, right? The, the fact that I disagree with somebody else makes me negative and then positive. It's just crazy. So that's the question. Always ask them. Yeah. You're doing You're doing the exact same thing to me with this anger or with this name calling that you're saying I'm doing to you. And so right. if we're both doing the same thing, why am I wrong and you're right?
1: Yeah, and you, you can flip that around too to any term. I would even say like, like another common phrase that you hear that's similar to that is like Christians are intolerant, mm-hmm. right? You hear that a lot. Uh, well, the thing is, for anyone who you hear that statement, just just ask them why do you think Christians are intolerant, right? And just break it down because you'll see that they're they're not applying the same criteria to their own statement. They're because the thing is, the fact is, is they're they're using the same judgment by claiming that we're intolerant. Of their intolerance, right? (laughs) That's the the key there. And so it's just breaking it down and asking those right questions to help kind of lead them to that conclusion, uh, I think is the best way to do it.
0: Yep. Always think about, does what you're saying apply to what you're saying? Yes. So there is no truth. Every time. Is that true? (laughs) You're a bigot because you disagree with me oh, so you disagree with me about yeah. this? I mean, it's very simple to do. And it's not a word play. It's logic. No. And, and then you help them to see that. And then, OK, but let's talk about why we have these views. Because that's where we can decide who, who's right or wrong or mm-hmm. has a superior argument. Yeah, that's a good question. Does that help? Cool. If you forget it, you can always go on our podcast and listen anytime you want, yeah. day or night, <laughs> free of charge. You just click, and it's there. It's awesome. Any other questions?
1: There's so many issues right now going on,
0: and you become so inundated with all of the things that we're supposed to be believing in. Black lives matter. Police are terrible. Um, it's okay to riot, but it's not okay to have um, a gathering. Mm-hmm. All these things, and you become, you almost become resistant to even saying anything about it anymore because it's. You feel like you can't win, mm-hmm. and not that you want to win, but that you can't—you um, can't make sense to them of of why you feel you you feel
1: a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, what is your um, thought on how to deal with
0: that? Yeah. So the question is, with all these different opinions that are coming at us from Black Lives Matter to no public gatherings unless you're writing, then that's fine to public gather in that and. <laughs> catch coronavirus and all that stuff. How, do, how You feel kind of um, pressured into not saying anything. So how do we deal with standing for truth in a culture that's so anti our beliefs and truth? Is that a good way to say it? So I always I relate it to like going to the playground in school. And I was homeschooled, so this is completely mythological. But uh, I heard that my friends would go to the playground at school, and there were sometimes bullies on the playground, right? And um, you you eventually get sick of getting shoved around and your money stolen or your your you know sandwich thrown over the fence or whatever, and and you can you can do one of two things you can stand up to them, or you can just back down right and to be honest backing down is usually easier it doesn't make the bully change, um, and I'm not saying that we have to stand up and be belligerent in culture but Jesus Jesus said that we're salt and light. And one of the things that salt does, and everyone always talks about, you know, French fries don't taste good without salt. And that's true. But in Jesus' day and age, they used salt to preserve fish. It was a refrigeration type thing prior to refrigeration. So what he's saying is we are helping things not rot, (laughs) right? We are a, a preservation type thing in society, And that's why we're there, and we can't lose our saltiness. We can't lose our effectiveness, because we're placed in the time period we're in in order to sanitize it, to sanctify it, to help it not completely rot and go crazy. And so if that's the call that we have on our lives, then we should continue to fight. The other thing is, I love what the scripture says. It says, don't grow weary in doing good. And I feel that all the time. I'm tired of it, man. Lord, I am tired of trying to explain this to people. <laughs> like I'm tired of standing for truth. I'm tired of all the emails I get from people saying how horrendous our podcast is. And you know, I, like, <laughs> and you hear more of that than you hear, hey, it's really helping. You know, I, I'm just tired. And so I always think of that verse: "Don't grow weary in doing good." Now I have to make sure my heart's right, and I have to make sure my motives are right, and I have to make sure that I'm doing good but we shouldn't grow weary if we're doing what God wants, even when it feels like nobody else is. And then I also think about Elijah when he felt like that. Nobody else is doing it. I'm the only guy, right? And God's like, well, actually, there's like 7,000 other people, but that's fine. (laughs) I know how you feel, right? There's other people that are in it with us, and that's where Christian community is important. And that's why this coronavirus thing, I think, has just been really horrendous for all of us, is because we haven't been living in community like we normally do, and then we're feeling all this pressure from all these arguments that are springing up, and it's like, what am I supposed to do about that? Well, you're supposed to play your part, you're supposed to depend on each other, and you're supposed to not grow weary in doing good. Um, so that, that's my
1: answer to that. You got anything to add? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think that was very well spoken. Thank you. Uh, I yeah, love that you I'm think I'm well spoken. I know, right? That's yeah, good. yeah, yeah it's good. We we we're on the same page I'll buy about your a lot coffee of sometime about that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I would I would kind of uh, just to echo what he's saying. I I really think it does come down to uh, that example of preservation versus like like so the, the salt and light example that they gave where uh, there's two. Uh, ways that you can go about it. And I, I personally, for me, it depends on the context of which I'm hearing all of this come at me, right? Uh, if I'm, if I'm seeing it on social media, I don't, I'm not one to typically engage in dialogue over text because uh, even with friends uh, that I have personally who have been talking to me about these things, I've gotten text messages from them specifically about controversial issues that are happening right now. And, uh, I just can't do it. Because to me, I don't feel that the conversation becomes productive in that light. Uh, So in a sense, I try to be more in the preservation mode where I just kind of am on the defense mode a little bit, kind of more timid, stay back, like light statements, but then follow up with, hey, why don't we meet up in person and we talk about this more? Because I think it's, uh, in today's culture, we're in a very digital age, right? That's where we probably are getting most of this uh, that we hear uh, from time to time, right? And we feel it too, yeah, from the digital aspect of things through social media. Uh, And so I think, though, it's a lot more concrete and you can get a lot further with people if you ask to meet them face to face. And I know this from personal experience. As a matter of fact, I had a, have a friend of mine who uh, who is libertarian, and he wanted to talk to me about libertarian politics and these ideas of coming that were kind of counter to some things I believed. But he was texting me about it at first, and I said, well, why don't we meet up in person and talk about it? And by doing that, uh, we met up, had some coffee, and. I, I kid you not, like, we both walked away. We. I asked him afterwards, I was like, did you feel that I was respectful to you, represented you well, and, like, vice versa? We agreed, and yeah, this was a very civil, cordial conversation, and I, I think that that's what we need to get back to, is having in-person, face-to-face communication as best we can, because... It's kind of hard to combat against everything with all the noise through the digital era that we're living in today.
0: I think, too, like you're right on the money with that. Because when you meet with people or you talk with them one-on-one and they see your demeanor and they they understand you actually care about them, even though you Mm. totally disagree with them, you'll hear things like, wow, you're not like all those other Christians. Yeah, right? And then I'm like, how many other Christians have you had a conversation with? Well, I haven't, but you know they're like this evil empire that's out there. I'm like, I know a lot of Christians and they're not like that. But the same goes for us when it's like a homosexual, right? Like sometimes, as Christians, we've made this evil, villainized you know, entity yes. called homosexuality that's out there. And then when you meet and talk with a homosexual person, you're like, oh, you're not like all those other crazy, and like, well, maybe you're just a human being who has some bad views on life Yeah, that Jesus <laughs> right, loves. I mean, it's very helpful to get together with people and talk face to face. And then just limit your news intake. Oh my gosh, oh, yeah. you're not missing anything. <laughs> that's what I feel
1: like. I'm like, I don't even wanna look at that right. stuff. Right, and then you hit the nail on the head too with like that. V- envisionment of, you know, you know, putting people in a box in this category of picturing what that looks like. That's yeah. that's something, too, that that I think we have to be really aware of is that people don't necessarily abide to all the, the views that their political party or their theological group holds to. So I think that it comes a lot. Uh, I mean, it goes pretty far to ask them those leading questions to find out what they really believe and show them that you care to listen. Yeah, show them that you care to listen. I so I think that that's that's how I go about it and I I think that that's the ideal method. Yeah, it <laughs> helps. Yeah. It helps change
0: yeah. people's minds and hearts, so. Right. All right, Jeff, you had a question. So,
1: there's <coughs> an interesting intersection between this idea
0: of graded absolutism and then our approach to candidates that are deeply flawed mm-hmm. in politics. Yeah. My question is, is it responsible for me as a believer to be a single-issue voter? Well, we had, an, we had an episode like three episodes ago called Should Christians Be Single-Issue Voters? So you should go listen to it. <laughs> um, we did. Uh, but they're big— uh, Listen, the whole answer to that is it depends what the issue is. Yeah. Right? It depends what the issue is. And I think kind of how we explained created moral absolutism tonight— if God prizes life and you read the Old Testament and you see what he believes about child sacrifice and, um, and what he says about the poor and what he says about the immigrant and all those things and you weigh it, uh, God is for us um, preserving life. Uh, he is a God who gave life. He is a God who gives eternal life. He is a God who came so that we could have abundant life and I don't see a way of justifying that I want different health care or I want different immigration policies, therefore I can vote for a party who wants to um, expand killing life. Because both sides of both parties that we have to vote for, I wish there was a different party to be honest, but there's only two, and so we have to pick one of them or we cannot vote and not be effective. That's another option, and some people do that, I don't think that's the best way to go about it. Um, but. When it comes down to the single issue, both sides agree that healthcare needs reform. Both sides agree that immigration needs reform. Both sides agree that there's poverty and it needs, uh, you know, they have different methods of getting there. But when it comes to this issue of the unborn, they're diametrically opposed. One Mm -hmm. wants to expand the murder of the innocent and one wants to limit or stop the murder of the innocent. And so I don't think, if that's the issue, um, I, I don't think it's an option to say, well, I like their methodology better over here for health care. Um, now, to be honest, I've often thought, what if it was flip-flopped, right? And, and the pro-life movement was on the Democratic side and the pro-choice movement was on the Republican side. Even if I disagreed with all the other Democratic policies, I'd have to. I'd be forced to vote Democrat because they're pro-life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You can be. I think you should be a single issue vo- voter, depending on what the issue is, and choosing the higher moral good, um, like the Hebrew midwives, and like Rahab, and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and like and like Daniel. So, and we're open. Yeah. We're open for people to disagree with that, but yeah, we want you to come biblically at it. Like, why biblically? You know, do you believe that? So, does that help you? And we do have a whole episode on that if you want to go listen to that. And it, there's some similarities with the graded absolutism thing on there too. So. One more question. One more. not
1: sure if I can articulate this correctly, but we're talking about abortion a lot you know, with some friends of ours and then with my students at school, and some of them have come to the conclusion that abortion is better than being born into a situation where their life is going to be maybe in foster care, or, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what other situations can proceed. So what are some things that I can help my students think about mm-hmm. with that, if they're coming out of
0: that approach? So the question is, um, there's people who say that it's better to abort a human being than to have them born into poverty or the foster care system. So I would again say trotting out the toddler.
1: Yeah. Do you want yeah. to uh,
0: explain that again? Yeah. It's such a good move. Yeah,
1: yeah. I would say uh, always just lead with the question with that when someone's asking, with anything, when it comes to abortion, would wh- how would you feel about it if it was a three-year-old that we're talking about here, right? Who's in the foster care system? Who's in the foster care? Thank you. Yeah. Who's in the foster care system and who is going through a poor lifestyle and they're moving around from household to household? You know what? Maybe we should just kill all foster kids because the quality of life isn't good in most of the in most cases that people argue. It's not ideal, I don't right? Think it's it's all not cases, ideal to go up in yeah.
0: foster care systems. Let's
1: just let's just shoot them all. And and of course you say that to anybody, and it sounds absurd. Like you, like you you take it as like a sarcastic joke that we're making here because it is a joke. It is absurd. It is <laughs> like absurd. It is absurd. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and that's how we need to be looking at it because really it's not about uh, the situation. Uh, that that's the thing you, you'll tend to find in the abortion in the abortion debate is that what tends to happen is emotion gets involved in these discussions, and they they bring up questions like like the one you you mentioned, and then also uh, an instance of if the mother was raped. Or Or incest. Incest. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. and these are all, first off, it's absolutely horrendous. Horrendous, not ideal, not what anybody would want. Yeah, of course. Of course. But then you have to go back to the core idea, uh, the core philosophy. What is
0: the unborn? If it's a human person, we can't kill it for any of these reasons. If it's not a human person, why do you try to justify killing it? If it's like a gallbladder, why do we even care? And so that's what I'd always do. Yeah, trot out the toddler. And then, What if it's a three-year-old who's poor? Should we shoot him? No, that's murder. Why is this not murder? And then you get to talk about the important question, is the unborn a human person or not? Mm -hmm. And that's what the whole debate's over. So a lot of times it gets sidetracked with people talk about, uh, freedom of choice. Well, we're not talking about choice. I'm talking about, is this a human being? Because I don't think any of us have the freedom to shoot an innocent human being. Yes. I, I don't care where their location is. I don't care what level of development they're at, right? Because they're a three-year-old that hasn't gone through puberty, can I shoot them? No, that doesn't logically follow right. because they're environmentally in, in in a different location. Well, if I go to California, am I not a human? Maybe not, actually. I don't know. is kind of weird right now. Uh, but these are the things you have to look at. And so you always want to get and them back to the main question. What is the unborn? Right. And trotting out the toddler in every situation. Well, if a kid's two years old and they're a product of rape, can we shoot them? If they're in poverty, can we shoot them? If their mom wants to go back to school, can we? Then, no. Yeah. So what's the difference?
1: Yeah. And and then you want also want to be keeping in mind that in, in majority of those type of discussions where people are bringing up, um, like, like the economic side or or if the mother was raped or through incest. Uh, the, the fact is, uh, rape and incest-related abortions uh, account for less than 1%, statistically, mm-hmm. less than 1% of all abortions. And so usually when it starts going down that road, people are just trying to make an excuse to open up for all abortions. So that's where, too, once you start to really boil it down, you find out the real issue isn't the the, the economic status or the scenario of the mother. Really what they're trying to do is they're trying to, to push you a little further. They're trying to draw the line further back to excuse all the other abortions, yeah. right? So that's where if they bring up conversations like that, let's say, yeah, you know what? Uh, what if in that case, too, that for foster babies who that would end up in the foster care system, or through ones that are uh, born through rape, children who are conceived in rape. If we agreed that we could le- make it legal, and which it already is, but if we kept it for just that those people, that people group, would you be okay with us outlawing and making illegal the rest of abortions?
0: Yeah. Because right? the majority of abortions aren't done for financial decisions. They're, they're not. Uh, from what women tell doctors, they're yeah. not. They're mostly done for inconvenient, I already have too many kids, I'm past childbearing. It's, it's that's, not for economic And reasons. the
1: numbers are insane right there, too. Like, like you can see, like, it's clearly the majority of abortions are done for convenience. Yep. And yep. so that's that's what you have to keep in mind when you're in the middle of these discussions. And I think it's important to to be teaching students about this, because this is something too, like we were talking about earlier in the digital age we're in right now, but this is just, these ideas are being subtly integrated into culture as normal. Yeah. And, and it's, you and so it's okay.
0: a, you're taking away my freedom. No, none of us are free to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure about that one, you know, none of us are morally okay right. to do it according to God and none of us legally actually should be able to do it. Yeah. So yeah, you trot out the toddler to show them how absurd it is to kill an unborn person for those reasons by applying it to a 2 or 3 year old and then you ask what's the difference why don't you think they're human and then I mean I like going further and saying you know it was crazy because a couple hundred years ago our country said that uh, black people weren't human persons and we could do whatever we wanted to them and you know in Nazi Germany they dehumanized the Jews to do whatever they wanted to them and so I, want, I like pointing that out it's like whenever we dehumanize any portion of the human race because they're small or because they don't have the mental capacities the rest of us do. Uh, we are on a slippery slope to genocide and holocaust, and that's where we find ourselves with the unborn. Yeah. Um, it's the biggest genocide of all time, and we're living amongst it. You know, So we need to stand up for that. And, and help with that does that help we have a lot of episodes on abortion that go through yeah. different tactics the sled test and, and uh the the chart off the toddler stuff and then the science behind it and why we can prove scientifically and philosoph- philosophically that they're human beings and human persons so if you want more stuff we have a ton of episodes on that. So, well hey thank you guys yeah. so much for coming tonight thank you for being with us together today on christ culture and coffee and we will catch you guys next week Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe
1: to help us reach more people.